0: iGaming is going to continue to grow in the US, whether it's casino or sportsbook, more and more states are going to open up, the TAM is going to get a lot higher, not a lot lower. So none of those, none of those variables have changed. We have a brand new industry in the US, early days, and it's still a boatload of opportunity for folks that want to kind of get into the game and and find their, their niche within it.
1: This episode is brought to you by SBC Summit North America the biggest sports betting and iGaming event of its kind. Their highly anticipated event returns this summer on July 12th through 14th, which will bring together all of the major players in the fast-growing North American sports betting and iGaming industry for three days of high-level discussions, business meetings, and networking. The program also includes SBC's First Pitch, a startup pitch competition that will bring together the most exciting startups in the industry competing for a grand prize before a judging panel of leading industry investors. To learn more and secure your ticket, visit sbcevents.com. All right, we are back with episode 24 of the Betting Startups podcast, and I admit that I'm particularly excited for this one. So by way of formal introduction, today's guest is Benji Cherniak, principal of Avenue H Capital, which I'm definitely looking forward to discussing. But before we do that and more informally, Benji, you and I have known each other for I think it must be over 10 years now, and I'm lucky and fortunate enough to be able to call you a friend. Obviously, we've both been through several chapters in our respective journeys in the betting industry over that time. So it's a joy to be able to welcome you onto the podcast today and catch up with you in this format. How are you keeping, man? Keeping well, and and you're right. You know, it it has been a while and, you
0: know, you kind of lose track of that sometimes. But uh, both of us being uh, Canadian and uh, thinking back very fondly to the uh, early days of of when you got into
1: the industry and, and the earlier days of when I was in the industry. So this should be fun. Let's just start there. I mean, I I don't want to completely rehash ancient history now, but maybe we can just take a a quick couple of minutes here to give folks listening for anybody that might not be familiar with your background, which I'd be surprised if there was anybody at this point. But just a quick um, snapshot, Benji, maybe some of the major chapters of your career that culminated up into the start of Avenue H Capital. Yeah, you're right.
0: I think most people probably do know who I am. I don't want to rehash it in too much much detail, but obviously most people know me from my Don Best days and we kind of got that company going and built that company up and migrated from the Best screen back in the early days to providing XML feeds and third-party feeds, and then successfully transitioned into kind of the trading side and the in-play trading and had a trading floor in Vegas. And as many people know, we eventually sold that company uh, post-PASPA repeal to, to Scientific Games, which is, of course, now Light and Wonder. They had acquired the OpenBet platform and wanted some US sports pricing to integrate into that. And that's where kind of we came in. And that was a good match and stayed there for a bit and uh, parted ways a year and a bit ago. And uh, since then I've been primarily just doing my thing, which I I, I guess is advising companies and investing in companies and working with startups and working with entrepreneurs uh, who in many cases are, are newer to this space than people like yourself and myself. And it's kind of been fun in that journey to try and assist a little bit and impart a bit of the knowledge that folks like us have to what is the next generation of uh, bound to be uh, many successful entrepreneurs in our industry.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And we'll talk more about those entrepreneurs in a moment here with respect to your current investing activity. But before we do that, and just to stick with the Don Best days for a moment, you know, uh, you and I met in the context of uh, my startup at that time, back in like 2010, I want to say, which was called BetSmart Media. Uh, Obviously I think you were in the depths of of sort of the Don Best journey at that time. And obviously that probably feels like several lifetimes ago, I have to assume. And I'm sure there's a lot from those days that maybe you don't particularly miss. I definitely remember you probably being the hardest working person I knew in the industry and just seeing the level of, of hustle you had on the operational side leading Don Best was really quite inspirational, frankly. And as I said, maybe you don't miss everything about those days, but I'm sure there's some things you miss. I'm just sort of curious, Benji, if you think back to those days, what are maybe some of the things that you no longer are doing that you do miss and sort of reflect on fondly as you think about it? I, I think I reflect fondly on all of it, and to be honest, I think I miss
0: all of it. To be honest with you, you know, Don Best journey for me, you know, it. it I really enjoyed every aspect of that journey, you know, but if you kind of, if you got to pinpoint the parts that I miss, you know, I, I miss the people that I worked with, you know, I worked alongside some fantastic people over the years dating back to the early days, right to the end. And, uh, you know, we've moved on to different chapters and some of the key leadership people that were working alongside me, people who, you know, quite well as well, you know, whether it's people like mayor Moses or Craig Mucklow or, or even my former partners, Robbie Mattis and Chris Cape, who were as integral a part of that Don Best journey as anyone, you know, I no longer work with them day to day the way that I did. And I don't want to say the whole Don Best process was effortless, because to your point, I did work hard and a lot of effort went into it, but it never felt like work. Like it right. felt like just a journey and something that we all were on together and something that we really enjoyed doing collectively and and going in every day and 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 addressing the challenges ahead. And and we really felt like we were a part of something. So I, I definitely miss that. I don't uh, I don't dispute it. I don't talk about it much, but I definitely miss it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, there were definitely some, you know, major milestones that you and the team achieved through that uh, time, which obviously culminated, as you say, into the exit, I believe it was in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, let's let's leave the past in the past now, Benji, and, and just quickly, I guess, get caught up on where you're at now. Obviously, you're deploying some seed capital and advisory services into some of the startups, but just sort of how do you characterize how you're spending your time currently right now?
0: Yeah, like, you know, look, Avenue H Capital, I, it's not just a formal thing, right? It's <laughs> like, I, think I mentioned this before, or maybe you know, but the story behind it is it's, uh, it's the street my dad grew up on in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And uh, when I took my dad there for his birthday a few years back and saw the house and just the way he grew up and all that, so that resonates with me. But, you know, uh, and it's part of the principles in terms of entrepreneurs that I want to work with is people that have you know, character and and work hard and want to earn every mile on the football field or the hockey rink, however you want to put it. But, you know, look, I mean, uh, for me, it, it's a bit of a labor of love. You know, I don't really view myself as quote unquote, an investor. And and I'm not certain that I am. I'm just a guy who, who, who was in this industry and was around in the earlier days, not the early days. This industry has been around a long time, but in the earlier days and, you know, have had some success and we sold our company and you know, I'm not really in a rush to jump back into something a hundred percent comprehensive. So, so, you know, it just kind of made sense to me to start working with some of the entrepreneurs uh, advisory and then putting some capital into it as well. But I wouldn't say like, I'm an investment firm that's writing massive checks to companies. It's really somebody that wants to work with me, wants to work with me more because of my experience and my capital, I guess is how I would put it.
1: Yeah, that's completely fair. And, um, you know, sort of segues nicely into a question I had just about, I guess, the scale of your ambition as an investor. And I mean, as you just identified, right, you're primarily doing this as a, you know, I don't want to call you a lone wolf, but you're not, um, you know, a venture capital firm deploying funds on behalf of a fund. Um, you're basically allocating your own capital to projects and teams that, you know, you have some belief in that perhaps you're adding some value in on the advisory side. And I'm just curious, Benji, like, you know, um, What is the scale of your ambition with this? And I guess just recognizing the fact you are only one person, do you have plans or hopes to to, to grow this beyond what it currently is? Or are you just sort of content to, you know, go with the flow for now and just, you know, take opportunities as they come? It's actually a really, really, really good question. And I don't know that I've ever really contemplated or thought about it.
0: Like, I don't know what my strategy is. I, I guess for sure I'm more going with the flow than thinking on an operational basis. How scalable is this? look, when I got into it and I began doing it, I never thought that I would deploy as much capital as I already have. So in terms of, did I have a certain budget for what I would be deploying versus what I eventually, no, I didn't really, you know, in my mind, I didn't really have a specific number, but whatever that specific number would have been, we surpassed that now, right? Just because there's so many, the truth is there's so many great opportunities out there. And it's, you know, it's an exciting time in our space with, you know, whether it's picks and shovel companies that are doing B2B, or whether it's new startups on the B2C side, I think there's opportunity everywhere, right? We're into year three or four of the next, you know, decades or centuries or whatever it may be of legislated sports wagering, uh, no longer in the U.S. and in, in North America. And I think Canada is a land of opportunity. I think there's a bunch of U.S. states still obviously coming and we're in such early days. So there's, there's more opportunities that I'll ever be able to get involved in um, and and probably I should do some soul searching and digging down in terms of thinking from a scalability standpoint, but I'm already seeing signs of, geez, how many more checks do I want to write? You know, And I'm already focusing a little bit more towards working with entrepreneurs, focusing more on advisory uh, without writing the checks versus just always kind of coming in and saying, I'm happy to write a check.
1: Yeah, well, I've had a few of your portfolio companies on as guests uh, on the podcast over the last few months, and you know, certainly all of them have echoed to me how beyond, you know, the value of the check you're writing, the real value add to them is just having your involvement in your experience and your insights into whatever it is they're working on. So just segueing a little bit, Benji, you know, talking about your current portfolio, wondering if you can give folks listening uh, a sense of the types of companies you're investing in, maybe you can pick a couple examples of companies that you've backed so far. And if, if there's one in particular that you're maybe extra bullish on right now, just wondering if you can give us a sense of what it is you're investing in uh, as it is today.
0: Well, look, my background is primarily B2B. And when you look at the Don Best days, I mean, we had a B2C component as well, but my strength, at least operationally, was the B2B side, you know, uh, providing uh, pricing to sports book operators, uh, both Europe, the US globally. And so I I think B2B is probably my bread and butter. And and I am, you know, focusing and, and working with a number of B2B companies that provide different pieces within the ecosystem to assist, you know, sports book operators and by extension, professional sports teams and media companies that are all kind of converging upon this whole sports engagement, sports betting, fantasy gaming realm in in achieving a level of success within their endeavors. So I would say that's the focus yet, you know, there's no shortage of B2C companies I'm involved with as well. And, you know, I think that there's just a lot of room and, and. You know, when people say, oh, you don't want to go into B2C, you can't be the next DraftKings, you can't be the next FanDuel. Well, first of all, that may not be true because the next DraftKings or FanDuel may very well be one of the incumbents that's coming up right now on the sportsbook side. But even putting that aside, so what if you can't be the next DraftKings? So what if you can't be the next FanDuel? Don Best wasn't. It was still a fantastic journey, something I really enjoyed, and, and we had a good result with it. So whether you're going B2B or B2C, trying to assess where you fit within the ecosystem, and what that might mean in terms of opportunity and and you can't just think about it in terms of what can i sell the company for you got to look at it from the perspective of you know what value could i add in the chain and 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 how can that result ultimately in me being a self-sufficient in my organization whatever my company is being a self-sufficient company that can stand on on two uh, on two feet and create uh positive cash flow um and if you do all that the rest is going to take care of itself um, And of course, the economy will ebb and flow and go up and go down. But you want to concentrate on coming in with a business model that 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 you know is self sufficient and that can become self sufficient. So you just need a bit of capital to get there. I'm not even sure if I
1: answered the question or what it was, but that's my answer. There's no wrong answers on this podcast, Benji. Love it, love it. Last last sort of question, I guess, on the current uh, activities and so far as the investing is going. Uh, at the beginning, I alluded to your background on the you know operationally speaking from the Donbass days and, you know, now you're maybe a little less operationally focused. And I'm just wondering as you've sort of, you know, increased the time spent on the investing side, Obviously, investing is its own profession unto itself, which is quite different than what you've done in the past on the operational side. And as you've sort of entered this world of being an investor, what's the learning curve been like for you, right? It's one thing to sort of have capital to allocate, but the actual business of capital allocation, I mean, it's, as I say, a profession and a discipline unto itself that many folks spend years honing their skills in that space. So I'm just wondering, you know, as it's been relatively uh, sort of new part of your chapter and your journey. What has that learning curve been like? And what are some of the things you've done to really uh, sort of accelerate the learning curve as you you know started investing more actively?
0: Well, I never went to uh, M&A school or the school of uh, learning the principles of investing. So I didn't know those principles heading in. I probably still don't know them, to be honest with you. For me, it's more looking at it from a common sense perspective. There's a lot that I've learned. You know, I think that I've learned, you know, there's a few things that I've learned. I think it's really important. In general, I think you want to make sure you're really aligned in terms of when you're working with a, a, an entrepreneur and a management team. At least for me, you want to be aligned in terms of how you see the industry. You want to be aligned in terms of how you see their opportunity. You want to, to an extent, be aligned in terms of how they see the world and how you see the world. So I think all of that kind of comes together to converge upon the way that you communicate with one another and the way that you know you support them in pursuing what is their company, their objectives and their dreams. And my role is to be a supporting piece of that and and, and where I can help move the needle to, to enhance that direction. So I think that, look, I've had a couple of misses where I've begun working with entrepreneurs who I recognized pretty quickly thereafter that maybe my alignment wasn't as uh, maybe I should have been doing a little bit more digging in terms of ensuring what that alignment to vision is to make sure that, we're both rowing the boat in the same direction and I don't find myself in a scenario where someone's rowing the boat one way and I feel it should be rowing in a different way. So I think that there's a bit of an education process on that, on my end, as, as it pertains to that. And look, I, I've had a couple of experience working with entrepreneurs in the past who are from an investment standpoint, who are fantastic communicators. I was a, an investor in QL gaming group. And I think, you know, Justin Park and the way in which he communicated with his investors was textbook. I just assume that a lot of people would be the same way and not everyone is. So I think that these are some of the areas where from the human dynamic, there've been some learnings. And then to your point earlier, when you're talking about scalability, you know, kind of budgeting in terms of, okay, well, if I'm doing this with these groups of uh, companies and I want to write follow on checks. How do I want to manage my capital in terms of how I position myself to be able to do that while still being able to assess new opportunities where I may or may not want to write a check as well. So I think there's a lot of dynamics that come into play and, and things that, I, look, everyone's learning all the time. Certainly when it comes to, quote unquote, the investment side, there's no question that I would have a lot to learn uh, as I move forward.
1: Cool. I want to zoom out a little bit and you know talk a little bit about the industry in general right now. Um, I know you've just come from the iGaming Next show in New York. Unfortunately, I was unable to make it due to uh, some personal uh, scheduling conflicts I have. But by all accounts, uh, it was an amazing show. Certainly, I had a lot of FOMO following it over Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm just curious, Benji, just to start off here. Based on some of the discussions you were having with folks there, and I should mention as well, I do think, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the attendees there were more so from the, the finance and investment side of the ecosystem. I'm just curious, based on those discussions you were having there, what is the overall sentiment out there right now? Um, and how do you sort of characterize and think about the current state of the industry?
0: The industry is in a great spot, right? Like, I think a lot of the investment folks who were there, look, it's no secret that that the stock market could be in better shape right now. and And... When the public companies, the publicly traded companies in our space, are struggling, it does have an impact that rolls downhill to to the private sector. But but you know, putting some of that aside, you know, I think the overall sentiment of folks is 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 overall exceptionally positive. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think the investors that are still looking at this thing are taking a longer view as opposed to a shorter view as it pertains to opportunities. Um, you know, you walk out of that conference feeling as though there's definitely a lot of synergies, a lot of opportunities, a lot of collaboration to be discussed. And yeah, you know, the days of, you know, two years ago and some of the m figures that we're seeing may not be the present. It may not be the future. Maybe it will be again one day, but I don't think it diminishes what the opportunity and the, the industry itself is in great shape, right? Like people are going to continue to, to, you know, I gaming is going to continue to grow in the u s, whether it's casino or sportsbook. More and more states are going to open up. The TAM is going to get a lot higher, not a lot lower. So none of those none of those variables have changed. We have a brand new industry in the u s, early days, and it's still a, t- a boatload of opportunity for folks that want to kind of get into the game and and find their their niche within it, whether it be working with a company, starting a company or anything else
1: yeah, and you made reference a minute ago just to the stock markets. And I guess just you know, thinking about the overall macro environment in general, whether it be the stock market, whether that be interest rates. Obviously, there's a lot of pressures right now, inflation. And there is some, I, I would say, sort of downstream effects that we're sort of seeing in the earlier stage part of the ecosystem actually after, the iGaming Next conference, Chris Grove published his keynote uh, presentation that he provided at that conference. And one of the things he had referenced in his keynote is that early stage gambling companies should prepare for a quote, realignment. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that, Benji, and, and sort of how are you thinking about that uh, dynamic right now in the context of not only your own portfolio companies, but ongoing investments that you're contemplating making?
0: Well, first of all, that I think it was a 20 minute uh, session with Chris to start the conference. It should be mandatory viewing for everyone in the industry. If you haven't seen it, I think you can go online and see it. It was absolutely fantastic, and uh, yeah, I do recall him making that exact points. He was kind of like, if you wrote it all down in in pencil, get the eraser out. If you wrote it in pen, get a fresh sheet of paper. You got to realign and take stock of where you are. Look from an investment standpoint, for sure. You know, I think that companies that are coming in, you know, there's a bit of. Uh, the, settling in with the reality in a tougher market versus when some of these folks got going and you know i, I think it's challenging for some because if you came into this thing and you, you started your company at a at a high valuation because the market would bear that valuation now you raise money at a higher valuation and you know now you need to raise more capital but it's higher to get you know a valuation above where you are right now because the market dynamics have changed and they have look I, Many entrepreneurs would use a justification to me, you know, hey, uh, I can justify my valuation because DraftKings is a $30 billion company. And then a year ago, that might've been true, but they're not a $30 billion company today. The last time I checked the market, no disrespect to them, but that rolls downhill. So you got to give me another reason why why your company based on solid business metrics is worth what it's worth. And not just pointing to the neighbor because your neighbor's valuation has taken a real significant tumble, in particular, if it's a publicly traded company.
1: Is there anything you're telling your portfolio companies in particular about how they should consider thinking about navigating the current environment? And I guess I'm asking this question in the context of, look, we've been in, I don't know, it's been a 10 or 12 year bull run, it seems in the overall markets. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, let's say, you know, the age of 30 and under, they haven't really lived as an adult and probably not as an entrepreneur, um, you know, a market where the macro conditions are actually somewhat negative. And um, I'm just sort of curious as you're, you know, sort of Trying to make sense of, of what's happening around us and mapping that to to your portfolio companies. Is there anything you're sort of telling them as as you know sort of advice or things to consider as they're sort of readjusting to the current environment around them?
0: Look, I think for a lot of the everything is situation specific, and for a lot of the companies that I'm in, you know, it's either a question of weathering the storm or or a question of just sticking to that game plan that they had. Hopefully, the majority of the companies that I got involved with uh, were were were. You know, it it was based on some real metrics and some real opportunity and a real niche and a void that they'd fill in the market. And that hasn't changed. And I look at some of the companies I'm involved with. I think that, you know, what's going on around them is really less consequential than what they need to do to execute and to become relevant. And, you know, whether it's a company like Parlay Media, who I think those guys are doing a great job and they're bringing on board more B2B clients and growing the network and the B2C presence. They just gotta continue down that path or whether it's a company like, you know, Kiro Gaming, who you know, who, who still relatively early days for Tom Ash and his team. And they made some really good progress with professional sports leagues. And they've got a boatload of media companies and sports book operators who are really looking at the technology they have and the way in which the industry is headed and seeing how this really fits into where the future is and not just the past or the future as opposed to the past. And I think for them it's just continuing on that trajectory. And you know, uh, you look at a company um, involved with a company called uh, called Betswap, which is providing a proprietary platform embedded into your sportsbook that allows folks to exchange bets one another electronically within their sportsbook experience. And I think that that's where the market is headed. I think that that's going to be a functionality that that would be kind of uh, in addition to what you see currently with cash out and in my view, more effective than cash out. I think the industry is going to head that way. And I think that for, for these companies and many, many more that I'm involved in, you had, you know, ultimate odds on this podcast a while back and they're in such early days. You just got to get that product launched out there. I'm involved with a company called, called Parlay Play, which is again, B2C, but their trajectory is is unique and they're gaining some real momentum and, you know, for them, they just got to bear in, mar- in mind some of the market parameters, but within that continue on the journey that they're on. So. Yeah, you've got to adjust. You know, I don't know if what Chris said is, is accurate, that you've got to get the eraser out and erase everything or rip up the paper and put a new one. And that's an embellished version of it. You've got to modify a bit of what you're doing to account for the downturn in the economy. But if what you had had substance and if what you had as an entrepreneur made sense a year ago, it should still make sense today.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think at least in my anecdotal observations, right, the key word here seems to be just sustainability and getting back to basics and those companies that had solid foundational components to them before, you know, in theory should be fine now, whereas those that maybe didn't might be the ones that are struggling a little bit more through the current, uh, I guess, market shifts. So, yeah, time will tell. Looking ahead here, Benji, and just thinking about all of the different things you're invested in, all of the different uh, sort of areas of the ecosystem right now that seem to be taking off. What are some of the current areas of interest for you as an investor? And, you know, again, going forward, what types of startups within the industry are you looking to fund? Acknowledging that, you know, you do have uh, companies both on the B2B and B2C side in terms of sort of the verticals or themes. Is there anything in particular that's interesting to you as far as new startups on the horizon?
0: There's a couple of themes that interest me. I think theme, like I uh, one of the things to me is that, you know, you look at the in-play experience today and what the in-play experience will be moving forward and how you augment that and what role will, will streaming technology play in that. And will we migrate from a, towards a single screen experience where you can watch the game on your mobile phone and from that very same screen place a bet. And I think it's difficult to do all that today in a way that's 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 user-friendly and engaging. But I think if you fast forward five, six, seven years from now, we'll definitely get there. And what are the companies that will help us maybe a lot faster than that, hopefully? And what are the companies from the streaming side and the technology side and, 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 and uh, from a pricing side that can help enhance that experience to make it more meaningful? So I think that that's one kind of area that I, that I have leaned in on to an extent from an investment standpoint, and that I continue to lean in on. Um, and then I think the other is, you know, looking at what that next generation of betters, what their experience will be. Um, and and the way in which sportsbooks are positioned today versus the way in which sportsbooks offer an experience to users tomorrow. And by tomorrow, I mean a year, two years, three years, five years, whatever number of years from now, it turns out to be given your situation. But, you know, I, 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 I do think that sportsbook, and I said it before, it isn't one size fits all. And and the minus seven and a half plus seven and a half is fantastic. And it makes sense to me because I grew up with it. But I'm not sure it makes a 100%, you know, it's as, as synergistic with, uh, you know, the 19-year-old who goes to school in, in Utah, wherever they go to school, and, you know, uh, it becomes the better of the future. I think that some of those folks might view the betting experience in a different way. And I just feel as though there's different chains within the ecosystem on the B2C side of sports betting that become interesting, whether it's fantasy, whether it's traditional sports betting, whether it's financial exchanges, whether it's social exchanges, whether it's B2C offerings that just interpret betting with different verbiage, whether it's single screen experience, like all of that converges in different ways and ebbs and flows. But I do think a lot in terms of what would that experience look like moving forward and what products make sense as they
1: begin moving towards that. No, that makes a ton of sense, Benji. Um, I know I've been able to count on you as a loyal listener of the podcast. Thank you for that. Which means you could probably anticipate my next question, which is my standard closing question here to wrap up today. If you weren't working in sports or in betting or doing any investing in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? I mean, I guess I don't know is probably a pretty bad answer. So one thing that I enjoy, like,
0: I've kind of enjoyed a couple of times I've done within my, you know, within the sports betting space and the sports engagement space, I've gotten on a couple of these like, uh, quote unquote, teaching engagements. I did one with the University of New Hampshire. I did another one. And I, I kind of enjoyed that um, and and enjoyed, like I enjoy some of the public speaking at the conferences. So I, I think about that kind of domain. I, I've also kind of enjoyed, and this may resonate with you, you know, a number of kind of Younger folks have either reached out to me cold or through a contact of mine with, you know, hey, I'm just graduating school and I kind of want to break into the industry. Do you have any suggestions? Or, you know, I just finished my first year at Duke and I want to get an internship. Do you have any contacts? And I've kind of helped with the some of these younger folks, be it from the teaching side or facilitating introductions, but first listening to them and hearing And asking them questions and hearing what is it that they how do they view the industry or what interests them about the industry and i think that whole area with mentoring and teaching i'm not sure how that defines to a specific career but it would be more likely to be along those lines than a fireman i did did put out no shortage of fires uh uh back in the don best days as you're aware look we talked about memory lane i wouldn't mind walking down it for a minute or two as we close this out but you know, I think back to your days. Many of the folks listening to the podcast may not know. You know, when you you and Judd had that company uh, BetSmart, and you had some really really interesting B two C products, and there you were sitting out on an island on your own in Victoria, British Columbia. Literally, no one knew who you guys were, and and you and Judd and your really small team managed to kind of punch your way into the industry. Uh, on the entrepreneurial side with some really interesting kind of B2C products that maybe never became the next big thing, but were interesting in their own right and had its place in the ecosystem. And then you guys were also providing, from what I recall, kind of some tech services and project management services. And, and you punched your way into relevancy. I remember when you got that gig with the William Hill way back when. and 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 I remember speaking to Joe Asher, who's a tough cookie, as you know, and it was like, these guys are the real deal. They're good at what they do. And that's when I knew that you and, and Judd had a, 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 you know, a long path in our career, whatever you wanted it to be. So I really relished those early days. Uh, when you got going, I was still in my infancy in the space. And as you recall, and we still try and maintain it every summer, you beating up, be it in Vancouver, or I'd fly out in that little, those little water planes from, from Vancouver to Victoria, your office was right there, do lunch with you and Judd. And seeing the success that you guys have had, you know, to me means a lot. And uh, it's just, a, I, I, you know, I just wanted to close with that in terms of reminiscing on memory lane, but, uh, or answer any other questions
1: you might have. Now the questions are over and I'm glad you you brought that up and you look, I said at the beginning, and I, I mean this, you know, I do consider you a, a dear friend of mine from this industry and this industry has given me so much over my, you know, 12-ish years in it, which you know, primarily includes the relationships that I've made along the way. So it really does mean a lot to me to be able to have these friendships that have been cultivated over many, many years. And in our particular case, many chapters of our respective journeys. And, you know, I do look back on those days very fondly as well. And I think, you know, you made reference to Judd and I and our little company being here on a remote island on a part of Canada, nobody's ever heard of, right? We had no business doing what we were trying to do and you welcomed us into your office in uh, Las Vegas in the Don Best office. I remember vividly you giving us a tour at the time. There was the Don Best TV production studio, right? That was obviously a much different time. Um, but I also vividly remember the, you know, the words of encouragement you gave us, the support you gave us, however you could, whether that be through introductions of which you gave us many, uh, you know, just being there to call up if I was in a crisis moment, of which there were a few times. And you know, fast forwarding to today, ten years later looking at you doing the same thing with this next generation of entrepreneurs coming up. I mean, I only hope they all know how lucky they are to, to have you in their corner. I know they do because they've all said as much to me, but you know, it's really been, I think fulfilling for me to kind of see you get to where you're at now inspirational as well. And, uh, you know, as a final point, Again, just very grateful to be able to count you as a friend, Benji, and definitely one of the good people in the industry. So thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for being a supporter of it. For entrepreneurs listening who may feel fired up enough now to send you a pitch, how would you best suggest they reach out to you and send you uh, a proposal or pitch?
0: Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I I generally, I I think I reply to every single LinkedIn message I get. So from there we can communicate. You can, I can give you my email and uh, we kind of go from there.
1: Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We're definitely going to schedule a part two, maybe for later this year. In the meantime, looking forward to reconnecting soon enough, either Vancouver or Victoria this summer, as we always do. And wishing you all the best in the meantime. Thanks so much. Thank you.